What is that music? Yeah. Does anyone hear oh, that? Oh, that's that's my siren in the background. Oh, okay, that's, that's my, just some um, New York ambiance. Yeah, yes. yeah, that's a little. <laughs> you may get you may get a little bit of that in there. That's okay. <laughs> just like, it uh, brings just, some grit and reality to the show. another episode of the MacGuffin Podcast, the podcast that dreams are made of. Keith Foster, you are the co-host, and you live in San Diego, California. Uh, should I introduce you or our guest? I guess I'll introduce you, Cassidy Robinson, the host from Las Vegas, Nevada. And on this episode, we do have a special guest, friend of the podcast, uh, Josh Hurley. Hey! If you're worried about making it like uh, the intro like less awkward or anything, you've got the wrong person for that. Cause <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna just make it as as awkward as possible. Hopefully, and drawn it's, out and, it's all yeah. uphill from here. Um, so let's uh, let me give people a little bit of of backstory with Josh. So I um, I've talked about this a little bit. I used to be in an improv comedy troupe in Pocatello called The Comedy Project. Mm-hmm. And uh, Josh Hurley is actually one of the founding members of The Comedy Project. Yes. Uh, As is Keith. N- what? No. Well, I, you. I mean, you came in. You came in a little later, but you also, I mean, I feel like you're one of the original. I mean, Keith was I like second say, wave, right? Yeah. 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 I would say that I'm a core member, uh, yeah. but I'm, I, I'm not. I'm not one of the founding members. You're no, 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 Dan Aykroyd. I'm Eddie Murphy. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you didn't say like Denny Dillon or like, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Joe Piscopo. Gilbert Godfrey. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're not those. No, 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 not those. <laughs> no, no, no. No, but no, no. One. And I don't think I we, we actually mentioned this, but you are Skyping in from uh, New York, New York. That's right. I'm from. I'm in New York right now. East um, Coast. Hey, I'm talking here. I'm talking here. All right. That was and you good. were one of the you first people. <laughs> you were one of the first people in our friend group who I think made it out. And you've been yeah. you've been there ever since. Yeah, I've been here since about 2008, and um, uh, I moved here uh, March of 2008, I think. And then shortly after that, uh, another friend from the Comedy Project. Moved out here, mm-hmm. uh, Tracy Mole, and also another friend of the com- uh, another person in the comedy project, uh, as it was Tracy, uh, Kyle Anderson moved out here. We all lived together um, with our dear friend Mike Brown. Yes, um, mm-hmm. who and- who I consider Mike an honorary comedy projector, even though I I don't know if he ever played with us, but in my head he's just like one of the gang i don't know yeah oh no i would i mean i think it's weird because like even now going back i know most of the people in comedy project but there are some times where i'm like oh we haven't played much together so i still feel a little like mm-hmm. out of it when i go back and i'm like hi is can i play with you guys <laughs> like, there, right? I, I i know what you mean like i used to uh Back when I still lived in Pocatello, you would come back every once in a while, and you were always very nice and very gracious, and like 
uh, hey, I'm going to be back. Could I play with you guys? And I, I, you know, I was always like a duh, of course, like you wow. don't have to ask, like you could literally walk in five minutes before the show and we would, <laughs> we would welcome you with open arms. But, but now Which I that usually I have... did anyway, I usually walked in five minutes before the show, yeah. no matter yeah. whether I was playing or not. <laughs> well, yes, that's definitely true. Uh, but now that I have been removed from the troupe for, uh, uh, four years now. I feel it too because they they've even brought up um, new people since I've uh, joined or since I left and and it it's like oh there's there's people I don't know. Uh, oh, really, this, Ashley Lawrence as well, uh, a member of yeah, my wife. Uh, yeah. I, I who I, I met through the comedy project. There's there's a whole there's a whole gang of us hi- hidden in the comedy backroads of America. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of like the Illuminati, like, but much less yeah. prestigious. Or yeah. the tr- or the true knot. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, and we'll we'll get into that. Uh, actually, I'll say right now at the top of the show, we are going to be reviewing Doctor Sleep. And one of the reasons I specifically wanted to have you on this episode, Josh Hurley, is because when we went to Keith's wedding, which was the mm-hmm. last time I've seen you in person, um, you were my ride back home to my parents' yes, house. I wanted to say something about this <laughs> when we were talking. I'm glad you brought it up. And. I think we spent the majority of the time talking about Stephen King and talking about The Shining. So um, I knew that you were a fan and you read Doctor Sleep back, but well before there was any noise of a movie. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think I I remember you like basically describing the whole plot to me, but for whatever reason, I didn't remember any of it. Um, So I I still got to, uh, you know, experience the movie in real time. Oh wow! Well, I'm, that's awesome that you that I because I do remember having a great conversation with you about movies and stuff. And I now mm-hmm. that, we, that you mentioned that, I'm like, yeah, Stephen King was definitely like one of the big topics we talked about. Um, so yeah, uh, so that's funny because uh, Josh and I used to both work at Walden Books, mm-hmm. and when we worked at Walden Books, he had just finished the Dark Tower series by Stephen King, uh-huh. and. And you were very bummed out by it. And I was like, what's going on? And you were like, ah, I just, like, I've been reading this series forever. And the, I just read <laughs> the ending and I wasn't that into it. And I remember I was like, uh, oh, what happened? And you were like, oh, I don't want to spoil it. And and I gave you full permission. So I'll give you credit for that. You were like, I don't want to ruin it for you. And I was like, yeah, it, it's fine. Tell me. And you you totally told me the ending. And then... I actually just finished the Dark Tower series this year, yes. uh, but it had been so I, like I had kind of known what was going to happen, so I was like looking for little hints throughout while while reading the books, and it, uh-huh. I think it actually enhanced my experience uh, versus detracted. So, mm. oh, that's um, good. That's good. My brother ended up, he just, I was like, he's like, oh yeah, I know what happens. I was like, how do you know what happens? He goes, oh, I just read it all on Wikipedia. And I was like, <laughs> oh, that's, he's he's like, I just read the synopsis of every book on Wikipedia. And I'm like, what a terrible way to read <laughs> that series. At least uh, you went through the series and read the whole series. And then like, you, it's a, that's an earned ending. I feel like yeah. I won't say what it is, but like, it's, it's an earned ending. And like, yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Um, but I mean, that's, that's since we're talking King, um, I, I think that's something that there, there's just sort of a running thing with Stephen King about how uh, he like he's so good at world building and character creation. And um, it is kind of a joke uh, that he, he has a hard time with endings. Common criticism. Yes. yes. 
Yes. yes. Yeah. That's a good, uh, um, very... I wanted to talk a little bit about some of your bona fides uh, before we get into the uh, talking about Stephen King too much. You Since moving to New York and, and doing the acting and you've been, uh, you know, doing auditions and you've done some really cool stuff. And I think um, a lot of people maybe have come in contact with you uh, inadvertently through your work with Audible. You were an Audible reader for some amount of time, or are you still? Yeah, so I, I'm really lucky, like, I get to work with Audible a lot. Um, mm-hmm. I'm still a, a sort of a, you know, a for-hire narrator. Um, I'm not necessarily employed by Audible per se, but um, mm-hmm. per project to project. But I've gotten to work there a lot, and I've really just gotten to love uh that and and them and it's a honestly it's a great company like they they're so great to like narrators and stuff like that and so I've, but I've I've narrated with them and and stuff and it's been it's been really fun. We just did a recent project where we got to do an R.L. Stein book, which was well he wrote R.L. Stein wrote a project for Audible and then we oh, it was a, a multicast mm-hmm. and uh, it's called it was called Camp Red Moon and um we got oh I heard do, about that oh yeah yeah we uh. It was I, it was super fun, and um, he wrote one of the four stories. It's all centers around like this, you know, camp and uh, wherever. And um, but they're all like you know goosebumps stylish stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I got to play a werewolf in one of them. And uh, oh, that's cool. So it was kind of more like a radio show where you all are different characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's really cool. It's like they uh, Audible's been doing a lot more multicast um, productions where we're all standing around in a big room and there's a bunch of actors and then we have our director and our engineer, and producers uh, will come in and, and as well and um, and so yeah. So then we just stand around and we get to record it with each other, which is so nice because oftentimes with audiobooks you're just in a studio by yourself with an oh you know with an engineer and it's yeah just you two a lot and of people so do it from home now don't they like a uh, the professional yeah. rec- uh engineers they'll do they'll just do all the recording from home and send in their files totally yeah a lot of people um will just have their own home studio now you know you can you can build one or you can buy one that comes like you can kind of just assemble mm-hmm. as it comes in and um uh, you can assemble it, and a lot of people work do that. They work from home. I just finished a book uh, recently with someone who lives in Tokyo, uh, and they were the other half of the book. And so oh, we wow. communicated. Yeah, we communicated just via email, and we talked and like sent samples and stuff like that. She sent me some samples because she recorded first, so she sent me some samples of the character she did and stuff. So I was like, okay, so we could match. Um, but yeah, so she and she's she just does it all from uh, Tokyo. So that's pretty so they, cool. Yeah, it's it's really it's really cool. But the nice thing about what like what Audible's doing in other places as well um, is they're putting all the narrators in one room, which is really, you know, as as uh, you know, uh, as an actor and Keith, you know, it's like nice to have like you know other actors to work off of. So yeah, yeah, like some something to play off of, something to help like sort of feed energy to each other, and uh, that's really cool. Yeah, it's been it it's it's been very fun. So I've been very lucky to do that, um, and just get to do like audio, yeah narration and stuff like that. It's been super fun. Yeah, and it's like one of those industries like within I guess you know tangential to the entertainment industry as a whole uh, that is steady work, and mm-hmm. it's it's uh, a little less competitive than like trying to get into television or something like that. 
Yeah, it's. I'm learning that it's kind of a small world. Like, audiobook world is a small world. Like, you bump into a lot of narrators you know, or you'll just be like, oh, who narrated? Like, I'll look at a book that just came out and be like, oh, like, I know that person, or I met that person. Like, it's a very small world. Like, mm-hmm. so if you're kind of in the, you know, in the sort of circle, it's, it's, it's you know, kind of nice. I don't, I'm not saying I'm in the circle or anything. I, I don't think I, <laughs> in or out, I don't know. But all I'm saying is, it's like, you just start seeing names and you go, oh, this isn't such a huge. Outreach, you know, there's there's a lot of yeah. narrators that appear again. So even yeah, voice acting is kind of that way. If you look up like one voice actor, say from a cartoon you watched as a kid, and then look up their IMDb credits, it's just like a gazillion things a year. Yeah, uh, exactly. And they're just like constantly like project to project and stuff like that, which makes sense. And and you know, yeah. it's just like oh, we know we can work with you, or we know that you know the they you know they like certain narrators and like okay great well like maybe we'll have you back or something but again i every every time they i get sent something it's always like it's like a new gift because it's like you never know if anything's coming so it's just like oh yeah. wow that's awesome that like mm-hmm. they, they want me back i'm just happy when they invite me back as well. <laughs> yeah. so, it's like thank you for having me back all i right. didn't mess it up too badly the first time cool well that segues actually really nicely into my uh next segment this is sort of a game i invented on the fly and okay. I, I thought we'd play it with Josh here because I usually don't get to have like a you know a professional actor and comedian on the podcast. So well, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> you mean your co-host? Aside from your co-host, of course. <laughs> um, I just said that to get that exact reaction. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, this is a game Fucking I invented asshole. called <laughs> "Who'd You Rather." Ooh. And uh, I'm going to name uh, three different well-known ensemble films. And Keith, you can okay. play along as well. Uh, and I, w- I want both of you to discuss who in the ensemble you would rather play if given the opportunity and why, and then who you would definitely not want to play in the ensemble and why. So, so, that, uh, so you're going to give us like a character? No, no, no. I'm going to give you the film, and then you out uh, you choose which character of that ensemble you would most like. Oh, to play. okay. Yeah, and then just so like if you were to give us clue, mm-hmm. and I might be stepping on some toes here, but if you were to give us clue, I would say like, oh, I would want to be Mr. Green uh, because he has a really fun turn at the end versus whoever, uh, Mr. Body. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. got it, got it. Okay, okay. And for the record, Mrs. Peacock. But anyway, <laughs> I mean, yeah. Oh yes, I I, I did want to say I'm giving you both. The uh, Scarlett Johansson pass, if you want to play off gender or race. Ah, okay, that's okay. yeah, that's good to sort of that, that <laughs> okay. avoids any sort of potential. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah, okay. okay, so we'll start with the- okay, white man. <laughs> I'm glad we have your permission. <laughs> we'll start here at the top with uh, the movie Scream. The oh. movie Scream. Everyone's seen Scream, right? Yes. 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 Yeah. One of my favorite. Oh my gosh! I when that I remember when that movie came out, I was like, my my mind was blown because it was it's mm-hmm. like a whodunit, but it's a freaking horror, but it's like so funny and scary and. Uh. I, yeah, I think that might have been like the first like horror with a capital H that I saw. Yeah, I think it was for a lot of people our age. Yeah, um, um, and I'll let I'll let you uh, start, uh, Josh. Who in the cast okay. of Scream? Which character would you most want to play? Um, so in the original screen, the first movie, uh, yes. I would probably, gosh, um, 
I think Matthew Lillard did such a great job with Stu. Mm-hmm. I think that'd be a fun character, but I kind of feel like I would gravitate. I feel like if I got cast, if I had any chance of being cast at anything in that movie, I feel like Randy would have been the character that I feel like I co- probably could have played mm-hmm. the most. And I feel like I kind of liked, I kind of gravitated toward most. I was think that, uh, was that Jamie Kennedy's character? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Kind of the movie, the movie obsessed kind of nerdy character who. Yeah. You know, he was sort of the audience, the, the audience surrogate into the film. Yeah. Yeah. He set out all the rules and made it sort of like set the scene sort of thing. Yeah, totally. Um, and who in the film would you definitely not want to play? Um, Casey's boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> Steve at the beginning. He just, yeah. get, the first guy just gets killed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he has a great role because he gets to spill his guts, but yeah. uh, but uh, <laughs> pretty, it's a little too brief. He's like, wait, yeah. did, did, were you just... Yeah. So maybe maybe not so much him. Could you imagine being Drew Barrymore at that time, though? I mean, I don't know. How do you think she felt about that? Okay, she was like, okay so I that, get to that's s- actually, that's my answer. Oh, it is? Yeah, right. if, if I could play, because she, uh, they only got her for like two days or something mm-hmm. um, because she... She was involved in another in another project or something at the time, but she like she really wanted the role. Mm-hmm. And originally they wanted her as Sydney, I heard, because she was such a big star. Yeah. Uh, but she was like, I, I can't do it. Like, I don't want to be I, I can't do it. Um, I, I don't remember why she couldn't, but uh, she actually really liked the idea of being the first kill. killed off at the beginning anyway, because it was um it's it's such a crazy turn because she's such a big star. You th- and mm. she's in the trailer. Like you think she's gonna be the final girl. They put her on the um, poster, right? Yeah, yeah. So I think she has probably the most memorable part aside from Ghostface. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I realistically, I think the role I could probably play the best would have been Officer Dewey. Okay. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's a yeah, that's a good one. I didn't even think about do it. That's great. <laughs> but uh but if I could choose any role it would have been Drew Barrymore and I definitely would not want to have been Sydney. Mm. Yeah, she's yeah. kind of a bummer the whole movie. She's just kind of like crying about her mom and stuff. Yeah. Like it's it's and not it's as a, fun of a, a role. I mean, she does get exact- to kick a little ass in the movie and like, you know, run around and like that stuff's kind of fun, but she like does. the character itself is a bummer. Yeah, and and not as much as like Courtney Cox or uh, she's like the least. She's the least fun, yeah, and memorable. Rose McGowan gets to eat it up, and yeah, yeah. Yeah, Everybody's having fun, but Nev Campbell. (laughs) Yeah, and I feel like that's why like being a character actor is so much more fun than being like you know a lead because I feel like leads oftentimes sort of have this like really strong sort of moral narrative that's like. They can't really vary in any ways. In a lot of ways, they have to be very sort of rigid in a lot of ways, as where all the characters surrounding them can be a little more sort of like fluid and silly and goofy, and you kind of do a lot more with them, I feel like. As yeah. Well. She, ha- she had to be very sort of like, oh, my mother, and like, oh, this is so traumatized. Like, everything yeah. had to be so serious. As where everyone else could kind of like be a character, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So, uh, next. Good, good movie. <laughs> next movie. Uh, this one's a bigger one. Um, mm-hmm. a lot of iconic roles. Pulp mm. Fiction. Pulp Fiction. Oh, okay. That's that's mm. good. Uh, full disclosure: I've seen a whole bunch of snippets of Pulp Fiction. I don't think I've seen it all the way through. I know. Oh, wow. That's uh, that's a terrible thing to admit. Yeah, list of <laughs> but, shame. 
I know it's definitely <laughs> shameful. Um, but I, f- I feel like I've seen the movie. I've just seen it in like bits and pieces and like the first half and the second half and then like, right. so on and so forth. Um, gosh, I, I have my answers if you want me to go first. Yeah, you go. Keep, yeah, please go first. That would be because uh, I'm, I'm still kind of trying to figure it out. Uh, OK, I I think the the part I would have wanted to play the most uh, and I think you might start to see a pattern emerging here. Um, I would have loved to have played uh, the wolf, Harvey Keitel's character. Okay. Because um, it's it's a very, again, it's a very memorable part. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but kind of a walk-on. Yeah, but it's it's a very short part. More um, of a feature. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, but it, it carries with it a lot of weight. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just a really fun, uh, really fun scene. It's a really fun... Uh, I, I like the characters that get talked about a lot before they're necessarily introduced. Mm. Mm. Um, so there's kind of a build up to that character. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but but they don't have to be like the the main the main guy, and uh, definitely would not have wanted to be Bruce Willis. Mm. Um, yeah. Again, it's kind of a, uh, and I don't know, maybe it's just kind of a more boring straightforward part yeah um, it's very noir yeah he's but, playing a, um, he's playing a heavy yeah but it's it's just i it's i mean he has a, a you know some fun scenes too but um yeah i general, like his like, little his little like monologue in the car about the kangaroo and all that like i think there it is a subtly funny part yeah. when it gets to be but yeah like he's playing it stone-faced and I think that a part like that is going to be a lot more work, basically. Yeah. You have to go, yeah, if you sort of the still waters run deep sort of thing, you have to really sort of dive in and like be like, all right, what am I, like, I don't know. I feel like, see, again, I haven't <laughs> seen the whole thing, so I'm kind of like, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, for, see, for me, I feel like the, the character that stands out the most that like in my brain that I remember the most is Christopher Walken's speech about the watch. Sure. And, oh, uh, yeah. So another feature. I, I think that's a yeah. really funny, funny. Character. Yeah, I mean that's a great one because he has that. It, essentially, it's just a, a monologue, and yeah. it's yeah. just a it's a killer monologue, and and yeah. that's like again he was sort of a day player almost, mm-hmm. uh, where he just comes in and does this one monologue, and then he's in, he's out. Yep. Uh, the re- the movie doesn't live or die off of his performance, but it gives him an opportunity to have a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's like a good walk on an improv scene. It's like you're in, you're funny and you're out sort of thing. And I yeah. feel like for him, it's like in funny, great, like just a great, like you said, a monologue and then just boom, done. Um, so yeah, I definitely, I, for, that's what I grab my brain gravitates towards anyway. Okay. And what about definitely would not want to play. Well, Zed's another good one for not want to play. See, I think, I mean, villains are fun though. Yeah. yeah. No, that's true. That's true. I don't um, know. I don't know that there's anybody that I just yeah, like, straight it's, it's up a, wouldn't want to play. It's a character-rich film. Everyone gets to do a lot, even yeah, if maybe, they're on screen for a second. Maybe Quentin Tarantino's part, because it'd be really awkward <laughs> to say the N-word that much. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a fair, As a white person. Fair, yeah. fair answer. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good answer. I would say, uh, I don't know, I guess uh, maybe just because we just talked about him, but Bruce Willis's part, again, mm-hmm. I just feel like to me that would be the least sort of exciting or interesting for me. But Right. Yeah. Okay. And then the last one you guys did ruin, um, Clue. Oh, no. No. Oh. 
I mean, I could try and come up with another one really fast, but... Uh... Let's, can we talk about Clue, though, for a second? <laughs> yeah, no, let's go ahead and do Clue. I mean, you guys kind of talked about it, but we didn't go into it too deep. So, <laughs> so uh, uh, Josh, who would you most want to play in Clue? Okay, so as a kid, I always... I think Wadsworth is such a great role, but I think Tim Curry just... I don't know. I can't see anyone else as Wadsworth but Tim yeah. Curry. Yeah, he just... Like Oh, so good. Yeah, he owns that character. It's just like, it, it works because it's Tim Curry. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it were me, I feel like, like, I feel like Colonel Mustard was a little too, like, I, I feel like I might get cast as Colonel Mustard what if you, I were to audition. You already said Mrs. Peacock. Like, right, he, right. He has given us permission to Scarlett Johansson this. You can be <laughs> Mrs. Peacock. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, I feel like I might get, like, if I were legit, like, audition mm-hmm. for the parts, I might, like, Colonel Mustard would probably be, like, the closest thing I would probably get. But I feel like if I were to choose my own part, I would definitely Miss Peacock. Miss Peacock has the, just the sort of, like, bombastic caricature caricature character that yeah. I, just, I just love it um and most a lot of people love of course madeline khan is freaking brilliant just subtly yeah. brilliant in yeah movie, but see but, i i have a hard time picking a role that i know i couldn't do better mm-hmm. like a better job and that's like that's why i wouldn't want to be uh, Tim Curry, I wouldn't want to be Madeline Kahn uh, because it's just like right. you know, the 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 flames is so iconic. Yes, yeah. Um, but I think uh, you would, if you were the the challenge would be not to be better than the person who already exists in the film, but to like bring your own thing to it, right? Like you would a, a complete sure. reinterpretation yeah. if need be. Yeah. Well, because they are doing, I've heard, so is it true that, was it like Paul Rudd or someone was trying to do um, Clue again? Yeah, They've been, like, it's been talked about, yeah. Ryan Reynolds was involved at a point Oh, maybe that's what it was, Ryan Reynolds, yeah. Did you give someone you wouldn't want to be, Josh? Mm, no, uh, so I wouldn't want to be <laughs> the cook, because it's just such a quick part. <laughs> um, yeah, the part of the cook. Uh, yeah, any of the tertiaries, like, the super, like, the motorist or the cook, I feel like were kind of just, like, they weren't throwaway characters, but they were sort of just, you know, plot, plot-centric I characters. I am your singing, singing telegram. telegram. She's great. That's a great role. I, that's definitely one of the, that one's good. Uh, but yeah, I feel like the, the motorist or the cop, or the, well, the cop's actually got a good, he's got a pretty funny role. Um. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I would say probably the motorist or the cook. Okay. How about you, Keith? I, uh, I think realistically, I I probably would be most. I I would probably be best cast as like Professor Plum, um, and maybe that's just because I kind of look like Christopher Walken, <laughs> um, not Christopher Walken, uh, Christopher Lloyd. Christopher Lloyd. I was gonna say I don't really see that, but okay. <laughs> Do you remember in no, the scene okay. in Clue where he talks about the watch, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I shoved this candlestick <laughs> up my ass. Uh, that was a terrible walk, and I can do better, but I won't. Um, okay. I'm yeah, going to shove so, this candlestick. <laughs> I feel like I I would probably be best served as like a Professor Plum or a Colonel Mustard, but mm. I feel like... I feel like uh, uh, Mr. Green actually. I would. I would. I think he, he, his part is more dynamic than some of them, um, mm-hmm. especially with like uh, the twist endings and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and he he has a bunch of fun physical comedy mm-hmm. that that I think would be really fun to play. Um, 
honestly, there's not a lot of characters I wouldn't want to play, except like like Josh said, some of the side characters. I, but I think like Mister Body um, is pretty boring. Uh, yeah. Even as a villain, he's 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 definitely downplayed because the other characters are so big. Yeah. Um, that I think he gets his part kind of gets swallowed by by the movie as a whole. I agree. And I think, you know, the way Leaving played him, which is, I love that his name is Leaving, um, <laughs> but Leaving played him was like, uh, he was so, he was just so just like, kind of like gangster cool sort of thing. Mm, and yeah. It was, it was a little like, I feel like he could, you know, with another actor, they may have villainized him a little more and made him a little bit more of a bad guy and like played with that a little more maybe. I don't know. Maybe he there is more there to him, but... He, obviously, with that role, he didn't seem to do too much with it. He kind of just was like, "I'm very straight, a very like, you know, character-wise, a very straight character who's just like, this is my thing." Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's it's on it's honestly very difficult to answer this question about a movie that's been made because it's like we've seen that interpretation, so it's it's hard to get that out of your head. It's it's why I wouldn't want to do. Uh, Doing a remake sounds very unfun to me. Well, Hollywood's been trying to do a remake subtly for like the last three years because Knives Out's coming out, which is basically Clue. Uh, Ready or Not was basically a horror movie take on on Clue. And then a few years ago or year ago or so, there was uh, Bad Times the El Royale, which was very Clue-esque. So, that's a good that's- point. That's a great point. Yeah. Yeah, but but even that is, is different because it's – yeah, you know they're these sort of whodunits, uh, yeah. kind of mysteries, but they're not direct remakes. No, they're I'm, not. I'm di- talking... But they're definitely picking up the essence. Like, sure, but well, you but, got because El Royale. But that seems fun. Whereas, like, I'm talking about like a, a Vince Vaughn and Psycho. Like, fuck that. Oh yeah, nobody mm. wants that. If I mean, if they did do an- another clue, it would have to be a totally different take on it. Fun fact, yeah. Lee Ving was the lead singer of the L.A. punk band Fear. What? Oh, yeah. That is a fun fact. Which is weird. Um, okay, cool. So that was a fun segment. That worked out a lot better than I thought it would. And uh, let's go ahead well, and... That's how it could have happened, but how about this? <laughs> <laughs> we just replay the entire segment, but it's terrible. This will be yeah, the only episode of the podcast where we have uh, multiple endings. Oh my god, <laughs> yes. yes please. <laughs> <laughs> Choose your own adventure podcasting. Um which is funny because that's kind of like how the shining what kind of was. It was like you know, Stanley Kubrick was kind of like, uh how about this ending? Uh, that's nice, but how about this? <laughs> uh, a, a little bit. Yeah. Uh so before we dig too deep into Dr. Sleep, mm-hmm. um in anticipation, I actually just before Halloween, I rewatched The Shining. Yeah. And I just read the book for the first time. So. Oh, um, okay. So I know. Think? I. Oh, sorry. I guess it's not. I just. Uh, no, no. I I think uh, I liked both. Um, I liked both for different reasons. I think, uh, especially because I think it's interesting how much Stephen King hated The, the Shining movie. Yeah. But right. There's there. I mean. Uh, and I get it, you know, it's it was his baby. Right. I, you Keep know, in mind, uh, Stephen King, I believe, directed and was a big fan of Maximum Overdrive. So yes. th- there is that. Which yeah, is he, which is now like I feel kind like of it's a, a camp great, classic. It's, yeah, yeah. You, it's like a fun. It's a great movie to watch. It's <laughs> not a great movie, but it's a great movie to watch. <laughs> right. Yeah, but but I uh, and 
there's even movies adaptations that he's done that he's retroactively been like i didn't like it at the time but now i like it and stuff but the shining he's never budged on he's always uh and and it's more than just like well i didn't like how the movie turned out it it, like he adamantly hated it Mm -hmm. Um, well so did everyone else that's a thing that a lot of people don't remember is that when the shining came out it wasn't this big historic kubrick genius thing it was it was kind of seen as a flop um Interesting. And uh, people were pretty mad about it, and it was actually nominated for Razzies at the time. Wow. Really? Yeah. Wow. Uh, that's the, funny the common consensus at the time was that uh, Jack Nicholson was overacting it. Mm. Because everyone was so familiar with the book, and the book is, of course, a lot more nuanced, and there's a lot more of a transformation of the character. Whereas in so, The so Shining movie, it, he's kind of, you know, a cold psycho the whole thing. Yeah, right. so that that's what I would say about the like the differences from the book and the movie. I, I actually liked the beginning of the book a lot, but yeah. I didn't care for the ending. I I prefer the the Kubrick version. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they're two very so, different animals. Kubrick wasn't out to yeah. make to to make an adaptation of Stephen King's The Shining. Kubrick wanted to make a Kubrick film. Right. And it's interesting because Kubrick and and King are very different in terms of what they bring. It's like King has – all his stories have heart. Like they all have like – there is a sentimentality to Stephen King and there's a sort of Oh, for sure. Yeah. A a sense of like – a sense of like – like goodness will prevail and a sense of love and a sense of like characters like trying to trying to come through for each other. Mm -hmm. And redemption stories and stuff like that. Exactly. Well, that – and that's that's one of the things King said about – Kubrick was that he he's too cold he was too cold and detached mm-hmm. to as a person to get the the warmth and the humanity of the book and he said mm-hmm. that he couldn't make people believe in ghosts because he himself is is not a believer of anything <laughs> he, he he fucking hate hated yeah, it. He was, uh, I, I, apparently there's an apocryphal story of him calling up Stephen King early in the morning and then like the first question he ever asked Stephen King is I think he said something like do you believe in God or something and Stephen King's like what like hello who is this <laughs> oh it's really good. but I think he was kind of like like sort of like being like are you do you sort of have this overarching sense of an afterlife or sort of a sense of like right. you know beyond and mm-hmm. it's where like because he yeah Kubrick obviously didn't seem to be too interested in that yeah humanity is not he's not a big fan of that um no. but I, it's, it's interesting that we bring this up because I think Dr. Sleep uh the film um does aim to sort of marry these two very different worlds of you know the Kingian version of of uh, the Shining and the movie version, both of which are sort of iconic on their own or individually. So, Josh, uh, if you can summarize um, as quickly as possible what happens mm-hmm. in Doctor Sleep um, without spoilers, mm-hmm. uh, how would you? Sure. What, what's the synopsis? What's going on in this movie? So, are we talking? We're talking about the movie, yeah? Yes. Uh, okay. So, the movie without spoilers is uh, Danny Torrance, who is the main character in The Shining, who is the the child in The Shining. Um, is we now meet him as an adult, and um, he is um, again not a spoiler because you find this out very quickly. Um, is an alcoholic, uh, drinks heavily, mm-hmm. um, and is sort of an echo uh, in some ways of his father, which you meet in The Shining. Um, so he is now trying to sort of like figure himself out. Um, 
alcohol is also a way to sort of suppress the shining that he has. Yeah. Um, and so that kind of is, is an important part of seemingly why it kind of came about. Uh, and also, of course, all the trauma that he, you know, experienced as a kid with mm-hmm. seeing, you know, his, da- his dad and everything. Um, so now um, he is sort of trying to, like, find himself. He has an incident that sort of makes him hit rock bottom, which sort of replays a lot um, for him uh, throughout the story. That kind of, like, shakes him a, a little bit. And so he tries to move on. And um, he ends up finding work at uh, again. Tell me if I don't want to spoil anything. But oh, no, you're the okay. Reason, the book is called Doctor Sleep um, because and people are like Doctor Sleep. They probably are like that's a weird name. Why does that mix with The Shining? <laughs> but Doctor Sleep is a title that uh, he actually ends up getting because he works at a hospice um, facility where um, he sort of because of his gift he's able to help people pass over. Um, peacefully um and it's a you know it's a gift that he has and again he's trying all this is while he's dealing with you know trying not to drink and and alcoholism and so on and so forth well he ends up meeting someone who ends up also having the shining as well um someone a younger person uh who has it possibly even more so than he did um and uh but they don't meet they don't necessarily meet uh he just is aware of this person um, meanwhile, there is a group out there who is um, not such a great group of people who um, <laughs> are are basically psychic vampires who are sort of these creatures uh, who feed off of the shining, who feed mm-hmm. off of a bi- the ability to sort of um, to have these uh, you know abilities like Danny does, um, and they tr- are traveling the country um, in this group caravan and, uh, kind of thing yeah exactly and very much so literally very much like they're in like you know trailers and and stuff and they're yeah. just like, driving across country in the you know gas stations and truck stops and stuff um and so they are feeding off of this and they feed off of other people's shine so so then the book is about them sort of trying to continue on as this small group uh and danny and this new character who we meet um can i say that i can say the character's name right sure Okay, so it's Abra. Her, uh, this character's name is Abra, and she. Uh, anyway, they they kind of sense she's got this power. Anyway, so it's it's them sort of like Danny confronting himself, Danny confronting someone else who has this gift, and then Danny also sort of having to confront these people who feed off of this energy, kind of like similarly like how the the hotel did. Yes. Uh, to him. Yeah. So yeah, which I thought was really interesting because. Um, you know, I had a lot of reservations about seeing this movie. I mean, I was going to see it anyway, but, and I was, you know, I had similar reservations when the book came out, which was, you know, people have such definitive ideas of The Shining story and what it is. And The Shining, in comparison to this, is a much more kind of stripped down, haunted house, um, mm-hmm. you know, paranormal horror story. Whereas this is much more sort of in the realm of fantasy, action, sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Um, and that with, yeah, with and horror elements, uh, kind of around the fringes. And it's like a sort of a sprawling road story where the yeah. shining is all is one location, a, a bottle yeah. episode. It's, it's all point. locked in. It, so it's sort of 
the opposite of The Shining in a lot of yeah. ways. Yeah, um, and I was, you know, knowing that, and then kind of seeing the trailers and knowing how, like, kind of plot-oriented it was going to be, I was a little nervous, and I was also nervous because, um, you know, this this director, uh, uh, what's his name? Mike Flanagan, right? Mike Flanagan, yeah. Yeah, Mike Flanagan, who I like. He's he's made a, a lot of great films, uh, specifically Oculus, which was a fun um, horror film, and uh, the movie Hush, which was on uh, Netflix, mm-hmm. a really a really cool little home invader film. Um, I, a very talented guy, but I thought, like, oh, man, you're going – like, I see that they're using the imagery from The Shining. They're rebuilding the hotel. They're, you know, they're specifically conjuring – Kubrickian filmmaking it's yes. like that's really dangerous territory as a yeah. as a filmmaker and what I thought was actually really clever about this movie and why I think this marriage of the kind of Kingian sentimentality that you're talking about and mm-hmm. Kubrickian sort of uh, cold cerebral aspect kind of works together in this movie is because whenever we're seeing the the stuff from the Kubrick shining in the film you know, Kubrick's Shining is this kind of totemic, uh, monolithic film experience. Um, it's much more of a, much more of a, uh, tone piece than it is a plot oriented thing. Whereas this is totally, totally. The- or, or a character. I feel like, I feel yeah. like this, I mean, like he's, it's almost like character kind of comes second to, to Kubrick sometimes. Yeah. No, it's, it's more of a film experience, more of a cinematic experience than it is a, right. a storytelling experience. Um, right. and this is kind of flipping it. It's sort of the opposite, but it kind of works because if you think about it, if we're, whenever we're seeing the stuff from The Shining, it's in the mind of Danny's memories. And mm-hmm. as a child, you would experience that hotel, those experiences would feel weird and cold and dreamlike in the way that Kubrick films. So, so it, for uh, me, it worked, it worked kind of cutting back and forth through that stuff because whenever we're in the Kubrick world, it is always kind of removed and heightened anyway because it's through memory. Right. So, right. Uh, I, I do want to touch on that a little bit. So, I think this movie. Uh, I'll start by saying I actually really enjoyed this movie uh, a lot. Mm-hmm. I, I was kind of excited for it, but not quite sure what to expect. Cautiously um, optimistic. Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, same here. And and the stuff with The Shining, I think. Uh, I mean, there's so many great homages, and 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 there there are moments in particular that I think are stand out as really good. What I didn't like that they did. Uh, that the director did. But there are moments where Danny is reckoning with the past, mm-hmm. and in doing so, they recast his his mom and his dad, because yeah. mm-hmm. obviously um, Jack Nicholson is way too old now, and I think maybe retired from acting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Shelley Duvall, yeah, same, same thing. Like, there's Obviously, they're not going to reprise these roles. It, it was a little frustrating to me that it felt like these actors were at times sort of doing impressions of yeah. Jack yeah. Nicholson and Shelley Duvall. And it comes off, there are times when it comes off a little bit like the um, actors at Hollywood Horror Nights sure. yeah. uh, who are dressed yeah, up like, uh, uh, and I, I kind of would have liked to see them 
play into what you're talking about a little bit more, Cassidy. Mm-hmm. And and I think just kind of let some actors do their own thing with these roles. Um, I, like, I think, obviously, let's do some stuff to remind us of that yeah. is fine. Um, but it's, it's down to the point where they're, like, imitating their voices, which the woman who does, uh, who plays his mom... Yeah. She sounds just like Shelley Duvall. Yeah, it's she like, really nailed that, I thought. Mm-hmm. But, she nailed it. But as an actor, it's frustrating because it felt like those roles in particular were sort of stripped of any creative freedom. Mm. It's like, look, I just want you to do Shelley Duvall's Wendy. Like, right. and, and so that was a little frustrating to me. I feel like that's an interesting point because I feel like it's a weird dance you have to do, especially when you're merging... When you're merging the movie with this movie, yeah, mm-hmm. um, and also the idea, because again, spoiler uh, spoiler alert, without being a spoiler, alert, the ending of the movie of Doctor Sleep <laughs> is very different than the ending of the book of Doctor Sleep, right? Which is also I would... very different than the ending of the Shining movie, which is also very different than the ending of the book of the Shining. Well, so it's like, I, and I was thinking about that because. Uh, like I said, I just read The Shining, and the ending to Doctor Sleep, the movie, mm-hmm. parallels the ending to The Shining, the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is so, really weird, but I actually really liked that. Like, yeah. So King to me, finally it, got it, his ending. <laughs> he yeah, got the ending and, he wanted. And so I do think that there is really cool conversations uh, with. The Shining, the movie, and The Shining, the book, and Doctor Sleep, the book, and that is a lot to juggle. So yeah. the film I, is, I'll is get... acutely aware of the fandom of everything. Yeah. Yes, and yeah. It, it, it and it's so, it's a little metatextual in that way, and maybe a little mm-hmm. might be a little wonky if you're not already deeply um, obsessed with all of this material. I'm not sure how, but actually, I, th- yeah. I think as a as a uh, as a uh, sort of just a adventure story on its own i think it still plays having not you know super super familiarity with all the texts and all that so that and that that's sort of what i wanted to say is is that even though there there are these these couple notes that in if you see them on their own it could be kind of cheesy but the movie is juggling so much oh yes and playing with so much that I sort yeah. of forgave it because I was I was totally on board with it. Uh, mm-hmm. Besides these little moments, in in there are times when it works because um, they also recast uh, Dick Halloran. Yeah, and right, and I think he does a perfect job. Oh, he does of, a great job of giving us Scatman Crothers but also giving us his own sort of interpretation of the character. And I, I think that's what I wanted a little more with Jack and Wendy, but those are also smaller parts. So I get that they don't really have that opportunity as much as he did. So yeah. it, it's sort of an interesting... Um, I feel you. It's a little uncanny valley with those characters, like the way they're trying to sort of fill in those roles and like fit into that world. Um, and I, right. I almost feel in, like... In a way that's... Not like digitally casting, which I'm glad they didn't go that route. Oh, 100 percent. Well, I think the best way, uh, there, I think there are two options they could have went with that might have been a little less distracting, and that is um, have the actors in the film, uh, uh, but never show their face. 
Like mm-hmm. let it yeah. let it let them always kind of be obscured or behind something or you know just the camera angle never fully reveals the faces. That way, though, it comes we're kind of doing that. that ourselves. Yeah, they sure. they try that to a certain extent, but it's yeah. Um, with, or with, uh, honestly, they there's a lot of advancement in deep fake, and you can yeah. you can make it look pretty pretty spot on. No, but, I I know, but I I would have preferred them go more. The illusion route, yeah, rather yeah. than than straight up trying to recreate these roles. That's what but, I was thinking because, like, with Mike Flanagan, I feel like he's got his own sense and style of direction. So I yeah. feel like he could have played a little bit with this sort of angling and lighting a little bit, and like had a little bit of fun with that because I feel like Kubrick had so much fun. I mean, you know, uh, theoretically, as much fun like, as Kubrick has, <laughs> right, right, with like being like, this is my shot, this is my angle, this is my sort of thing. Yeah, and I feel like he could have he could have sort of taken a little more ownership of that of those characters that Cooper created, or at least for the film, and been like, you know what, I'm going to do my own thing with them, but I'm going to do it in an artistic, in a for almost a tourish way, just like you did it with yeah. your movie. And I right. think he, you're right. Like I think melding sort of like angling and like maybe like not as much face, but I also think it's kind of brave to do that and be like, you know what, screw it. We're going to do a full on face shot of Wendy and it's going to be another actor and you are going to be doing um, sort of like, again, a little bit of an uncanny Valley thing, but also like you're going to, it's that sort of melding of like, I'm going to take what Kubrick did and say yes to it, but I'm Mm -hmm. going to also say, you know what, we're going to, we're going to shoot you straight on from like your face here and you're going to, perform as Wendy from that movie and we're going to tie it together but also not hide the fact that you're a different actor which I thought right. yeah, that's okay, that's cool. true that's true uh and also I want to stress that this is a pretty small aspect of the movie like oh, yeah. the movie definitely has it is. its own thing going and by the time that some of this stuff sort of comes back around I was so engrossed in mm-hmm. the story of Dr. Sleep yeah yeah I I was very I was so surprised how much I like this movie. And yeah. I um I mean I'll go on I'll go on the record and say I think this is the best King adaptation we've seen since at least The Mist. Mm. Oh um, it, wow. Uh, and the, the, okay. there's this is like the third this year, but uh yeah. I uh, yeah I was I was with Pet Cemetery up until the very last fourth of the movie and mm. I was like I turned to like I, I was like oh my gosh I was like this is <laughs> This is like really good, the beginning of it, and then mm-hmm. kind of at the end of it, it kind of it kind of fell apart a little for me. Yeah, but, but yeah, but this movie is this movie is great, and honestly, like as like having read the book, I feel like it really was true to the book in so many ways, and mm-hmm. like, it really like it 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 leaned into Stephen King and, and it sort of gave him his due, but also was like, you know what, we're gonna we're gonna take this in a direction that's a little different, and it was fine. It felt it felt fine. Yeah, I really yeah, loved I, the mythology of the film, and I really loved the the kind of expanding on it. And I was, you know, I was kind of worried that, you know, especially with horror films, the more you explain things, the more you sort of demystify it and make it less scary. Yep. Um, but I didn't think that that happened here. So when when they reveal that the spooks in uh, the Overlook Hotel had a motive other than mm-hmm. to be creepy, um, right. that actually I thought was really cool and. You know, you then I'm thinking well, like other King novels or other King stories. And I'm like, oh, geez, the, like I know he, his stuff is very expanded universe in that way. Yeah. So like, I mean, you certainly like 
Carrie could have could be a shining person, like um, right. And well, yeah, uh, and there there's definitely references to characters in the Dark Tower universe yeah. that have the shining. Um, uh, like Cuthbert has a little bit of a shine. Yeah. And, and well, I King loves his Jake. gifted children. Like he he's yep. he has his tropes, and and he also loves like the idea of like a, a gifted child who's being pursued by something. I mean, yeah, there's a lot yeah. of that in Firestarter as well. Well, it, which I it's believe funny the because, Institute is about that too. Yeah. Oh, oh, really? Uh, it's yeah. funny because I remember when I first saw The Shining. Um, I, I was I was a little scared of horror movies. Um, you, you know, and that's a pretty, that's a pretty heavy movie to, to see when you're younger. Yeah. Um, and I remember thinking the idea of like this psychic kid and these people with the shine was a really cool idea. And I was just like, oh, I kind of wish that they, that there was something there that wasn't like straight horror. And so there's, there was always sort of this part of me that I think had it embedded in my DNA that like I wanted to know more about people with shine. Yeah, and mm. and I think that this does that really well. And the aspect of the film that potentially could be the corniest, which is this caravan of psychic vi- vampires, like gypsies. Right. Um, that's like the most like pulpy and comic booky of the whole movie. And oh god, I but think did they pull it off? They did it yeah. so well. And yeah, I really, really re- I was engrossed in all of that, all of that drama. I love the idea that like this girl who's out there is just like a total fucking badass. And well, like low-key, this and- is like not only a great uh, uh Stephen King adaptation, but it's also like a, a great X-Men movie that never was made. Right. <laughs> I, I thought that too. I was like, uh the sort of the part where um, Rebecca Ferguson was like searching for her, yeah. like, flying through the clouds. I was like, "Oh, this is like a cool Stephen King cerebro." Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but also, can we take just a moment since we're talking about the caravan of yeah. uh, psychic vampires mm-hmm. and talk about so many great Rebecca Ferguson? Yeah. yeah, I'm holy shit. I'm all yeah. about it. And the- yeah, she's, she's her accent too was beautiful. I, is she actually Irish? Is she? I, th- I think she's European. I can't, I don't know exactly. Okay. Place of origin. So I I really so nice. only know her from like the Mission Impossible movies. I think uh, I might have seen her in a couple other things, but th- in this, it was really fun to see a, a super badass female villain. Yeah. Uh, who who has ample opportunity to just like to just like play and and be just deliciously evil and Mm -hmm. uh and in a way that's not like the sort of overplayed trope of having to use like sexuality as a weapon Mm -hmm. she's just like this vicious fucking monster and but totally charismatic and charming uh it's I just loved her character. I, I loved everything about it. I agree. And in the book, she's she's kind of that way, too. She's this really sort of just a great sort of well-drawn character. And I think Stephen King has a real ability to, like, I don't know. He, he, he I feel like he really loves, like, strong, interesting, um, very charactered 
like female protagonists and antagonists. He's mm-hmm. created so many, so many good ones, like uh, Annie Wilkes and um, mm-hmm. you know uh, Dolores Claiborne, and a lot of his, a lot of the great characters in his books are you know these females. And I think one great thing about Doctor Sleep is if you really think about it, Danny Torrance again, Danny's almost kind of a side character in this book in a way, like he kind mm-hmm. of sure. is sort of a facilitator. You know, he's like his story has sort of been told in a way, and now he's kind yeah. Of like, yeah, he's dealing with a lot obviously in this book. And it is, he does have a giant through line in an arc, but it's like, hey, here's the new, here's the new, you know, um, generation of people who have this ability and how are they doing? Like, here's this character, but, you know, basically these two characters are two strong female protagonists and And he's just, yeah, he's just sort of caught in their wake in in like the middle of this other thing that's going on. Um, But yeah, but I. I agree with you, but he also has such a good personal arc with, um, I, I loved sort of the, the parallels between him and Jack uh-huh. and just that, you know, that idea of like not wanting to become your father, uh, but you kind of do anyway. Like, Oh, totally. Totally. Yeah. It's the and, cycle. And, he talks about the wheel, you know, sort of like spinning and it's just like, uh, I think, uh, um, Dick Halloran talks about, you know, like time is a wheel, you know, which is also very much a dark tower thing, but he's like, mm-hmm. it, it all sort of circles back again. So it's like, and, and we see again, I won't say anything about how it ends, but we also see towards the end that it's cyclical again, right? Mm-hmm. Like the, there's some yeah. imagery that is sort of cyclical that you see and you go, okay, now it's, now it's, uh, it, now it's starting again or, or fresh and, or, right. or at least now this person is dealing with something differently that, that we've seen before. So I, I was a little nervous um, cause I knew they go to the overlook. I don't think that's a spoiler. They talk about it in the trailer. Oh so no, man. It. I feel, and I feel like they leaned really heavily on that in the trailer, which in the book, uh, slight spoiler for the book, the, the overlook, um, how much can I say? About the well, book? in the, in the book, the overlook is blown up. Right. Right. In the shining, the book. Yeah. Yes. And in the, and in, um, Dr. Sleep, the overlook, uh, now, can I say this? Can oh I, yeah, can go I ahead. Detail about that. Okay, so in the Overlook, at least from what I remember reading, because it was a little while ago, but um, it's now sort of like this campground sort of area um, where people can go. And guess who owns the campground? Is the True Knot? So oh, um, interesting. Yeah. So like there is. So the Overlook is gone basically, but. Um, it's it still sort of exists uh, psychically, so they do go back in the book, mm-hmm. but it's to this place, and so that's definitely where the movie sort of took a big detour because it's like the the, the hotel still exists, yeah, uh, because it has to in the movie, it yeah, because it's a sequel to both the movie and the book in in really interesting ways. Um, mm-hmm. And I was a little nervous about that, and I think this is kind of what you were talking about, Cassidy. It's just like how heavily they're leaning into this right. imagery that was sort of yep. already given to them. And is it the orange carpet, the Pandarecki score, everything? Yeah. yeah and is it going to rely just on nostalgia of like, ooh, look at that? Um, but the way he, yeah. he uses it, I think, is I loved all the stuff. Like once they get to the like. Once they copy that opening shot from mm. The Shining, mm. I was like, I was like, oh, that's really cool. And, and oh, uh, it was super uh, evocative for me. I was like, oh, damn. And they didn't use that music only at the very beginning. Yeah. And then, mm-hmm. and then, and then, then towards the like, end. Yeah. Yep. 
Yeah, because that the the score is kind of like the you know the theme of the hotel. It's it, it's the uh, it's the exactly the character uh, right. of the hotel is expressed through the Pandarecki score, um, which is why I think surprisingly that these two mixtures of styles work together because you know Flanagan is not a Kubrickian kind of style director. Like the no, film is shot very all, yeah. very traditionally and you know lots of normal coverage and regular angles and stuff like that. So he's not he's not making like these long pans or these you know super Mm -hmm. centered images and things like that like um so i think it it all kind of works uh in the movie's favor because it turns like i said it turns that kind of danny's memory of that of that place Mm -hmm. into this into this otherworldly horror that isn't like the world he grew he grows up in some right. something I also thought was kind of cool was um, it gives the, the character more, they, or it gives the hotel more character. Yeah, in the way they shot it when Danny's walking through the hotel for the first time, yeah, um, is so different than The Shining. Yeah, when you realize in that those, a way, those those hallways are actually a lot smaller and a yeah, lot more and narrow. I, I loved that. Just that the yeah. idea, that, like he's coming back as an adult and. It, it just feels smaller. Mm-hmm. Like he, he made it bigger in his head. Yeah. Uh, it, it, that I just love because any kid who's gone back to, or any adult who's gone back to like their grade school. Yeah. Uh, knows right. that feeling of like, God, I remember this, these hallways being so huge. And now it just feels Different. like minuscule. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. That's sort of, and you can, I really kind of like that. Flanagan really gave you sort of a sense to sort of like soak in the hotel for a second. Like when you came in, like he kind of mm-hmm. wandered, you wandered around with Danny in the hotel remembering because that's what he was doing. Mm-hmm. And, right? yeah, and, and it's th- like, you get that chance to sort of do that with him, which is kind of a nice ride along. You're like, Oh yeah, this area. And Oh yeah, this, this thing. And yeah, like and I think there are times when this movie has some, uh, some pacing issues. Um, especially like near the beginning when it's sort of setting things up. And then I think the ending ending is a little abrupt, but I really liked that this moment that he's going through the hotel, they just really let that breathe and really let that just be sort of its own thing Mm -hmm. for a minute that that I really enjoyed. Like let's, if we're going to, to play with this and stuff, let's just being playing on this nostalgic imagery Let's really soak it in and and make a moment of yeah, it. Yeah, but I, also I really kind of demystifying it. it at the same time. Like, and it, it's yeah. it sort of plays with that idea right. that the the Kubrick version that we've seen it was was a memory. And yeah. and I remember you know seeing documentaries or whatever about the way the Kubrick shot that film. He used specific camera lenses and angles to make the walls kind of seem taller and wider than they really were. Um, oh wow! Like in the uh, the scene in the uh, the maze when they're running around in The Shining, um, those maze walls, those hedge walls, are actually fairly short. But he he angled the camera in such a way and used uh, kind of lens to make it seem like they were like ten feet tall. Um, and I remember in the <clears throat> in the uh, in the Shining, the when when they were in the hedge maze, the music was these sort of like these sort of like stretching violins. Mm-hmm. It was like. And it was kind of like, it had that sort of effect of like like war, like kind of like elongation and like warp yeah exactly yeah. where and it's interesting because you bring up the idea of like Flanagan's style is so different than Kubrick's and and like and I feel like what he does in this movie is so well is that his his sort of like 
where is the energy of this scene? And for Flanagan, it's in the relationships and the characters. And, and performances. Kubrick, it was yeah, the shots, totally. right? It was totally the filmmaking. It was totally the sort of technical beauty of what he was doing. Right. And for Flanagan, it's the characters, right? So in this moment, Danny's relationship with the hotel is what's important, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, how how does he remember this? So he gets to walk through it, and we literally get to see his relationship with sort of these memories, which is really kind of cool because, again, it's it's not about the shot of the wall or the the what him walking it's mm-hmm. like his his it, literal interaction with this hotel which i really like to- yeah totally and and i think i think this movie works when it really shouldn't have yeah. because of 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 exactly that like he's not trying to recreate the shining he's trying to to get us to remember the shining right. which is yeah. a very different thing great point yes and and I think it's, you know, on top of that, we have a lot of great characters. It is much more character oriented. The story itself is engrossing. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's very plot driven. There's a lot of moving parts and almost to the point where a lesser director would have a hard time fitting in convincing character moments with a movie that's so full of plot. But he does totally. it very, very well. And I think that, you know, of anything, that's the biggest compliment I can give him is the way he's all, uh, able to balance story and plot. But yeah, yeah, and, and action. There's and just, action. Yeah, you know, all of that totally. stuff all, and the horror stuff. There, it, it is here, and there are moments that are effectively horrific. Um, oh yeah, there's there's some parts where I like was like I obviously was like I don't know if we need this in the movie. Like it was too, <laughs> for me. It was too. Maybe that's my age, or maybe I don't know. No, maybe that's I, just like. But it's it's pretty affecting because uh, yeah. I saw this by myself actually, and there were moments <clears throat> when I was like. Kind of shrinking in my seat and like, yeah. oh, oh, God. Yeah, they, yeah, it goes for yeah. it a little. Uh, and I, I will say, though, um, I love a lot of the characters in here, especially the peripheral characters, the side characters. Um, all of the caravan people, I think, are really, really cool. Definitely getting some near-dark vibes there. Um, yeah. Uh, but I do think that Ewan McGregor is a little miscast. In this role, interesting. Okay, I don't think he's bad. So? Really, I, I don't think I, he's I, bad. Yeah, actually, I don't think he's bad. I don't think he ruins the movie, but I think he's a little too movie star for this character. Okay. Like the way you know, to to believe that he's like this down on his luck, like drunk um, person who's like you know traveling from town to town and like barely eking by. I just don't believe it from you and McGregor because he's gorgeous. And even with <laughs> even when he's frumped up with a beard and a torn shirt or whatever, right. like that guy's gonna get he's gonna like land in central casting no matter what. That's true. So <laughs> I will. I he's will never argue, though that he might be an alcoholic, but he's gonna be like on in, you know at the top of a skyscraper somewhere drinking a martini, not like in some bar having sex with um, right you know prostitutes or whatever. So like some of that's I. Th- and I get they had to have a star in the movie to be able to sell it, which didn't work anyway. Sure. The movie sort of flopped, but. Um, so I, I think I'm, that uh, I'm actually going to take up the case for Ewan McGregor. Okay, um, well, let me just let I, me I just pose was, uh, who I kind of would have thought would have been more who? appropriate for this role. Somebody, oh yeah, who did you? Somebody like a John Hawks. Remind mm. me, I'm uh, John Hawks. Uh, he was in Winter's Bone. He was in. Um, uh, he was. In, he's a, he's a well known. He's character a character actor. actor. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I I actually think that um, Ewan McGregor worked his casting uh, for a few reasons. Uh-huh. Um, one, he he is 
you know, he is a big star, and and I think it is nice to have that in your movie, um, especially a movie like this where it is sort of banking on nostalgia a little bit, uh-huh. um, because it it I don't know I and. I believe him as sort of an inverse of Jack Nicholson from The Shining. Mm-hmm. Uh, because Jack Nicholson is giving us a very cold, detached, uh, loud, and brutal alcoholism. Um, Ewan McGregor is giving us a very introverted, um, uh, sort of internal suffering alcoholism. So it, I, I actually thought he was great. Um, I'm very much team McGregor. Yeah, I, I, I definitely liked him. I didn't think he was, I don't think he, I don't know, I, it's not, now that I see it, I'm like, oh, nobody but Ewan McGregor, but I also, I also do like the idea that, like, because Jack Nicholson was kind of that in his heyday, right? He was kind of, like, he was kind of, He was like a star, really, yeah. Yeah. Well, th- th- that's actually one of the reasons Stephen King, he hated him being cast as, Jack Torrance because he was just coming off of One Flew Over the Cuckoo Nest. Yeah. And so he was like huge star at the time. And Stephen King was like, well, he's coming off of this movie where he just played a crazy guy. Everybody knows Mm. that he's going into this horror movie. He's going to be crazy. So, yeah. uh, And from uh, from the first frame, he doesn't disappoint. Like, you're like, oh, this guy (laughs) is obviously going to go off his rocker, which King had a big problem with. He was like, you know, from the first frame of this movie, this guy's going to go crazy. Right. Whereas Jack Torrance in the book is a family man. He loves his family. He cares. Yeah, he's fighting it the whole time. Yeah, exactly. So I thought, you know, I thought Ewan McGregor was good. I thought he, um, one thing that I, I can't remember if I heard this in an interview or, or what, but he did pick up some of Danny's, the actor's speech patterns a little bit, which I really loved. Like The kid? Sort of the, like from yeah, the child? Mm-hmm. From the child, like from the from the movie, at least that's what I perceived. Maybe I'm maybe I'm reading too much into it, but he, oh, I don't know. I think when he when he was talking and when he got excited or when he would say something quickly, he kind of had this sort of like mumbliness about him, which mm-hmm. I feel like the kid who played Danny, sort like you know, like oh do this, mm-hmm. oh, I'm gonna do this, and like he kind of had a bit of a mumbliness to him, which I was like, I don't know if he's doing this consciously or not, but he really sort of like there was some subtlety in there, at least in my brain, or maybe I was trying to read too much into it. But <laughs> no, I, I there was subtlety I, in there, and I I really appreciated it, and I thought he really gave a lot of like um a lot of emotional weight yeah. uh it's a, uh, I also certain. believed that the kid from the shining could grow up into this and and I think that to me that's sort of the most important part like I I do see what you're saying Cassidy but I I don't know I didn't have a problem with him I I actually liked him in the role Yeah no I didn't I don't I think he gives a good like interior performance and everything like I I don't think he's hindering the film I just think sure. that I'm thinking about Ewan McGregor the movie star too much when I'm watching him act right. and I would want to be yeah. thinking I want to be even more immersed and to believe that this is just Joe Schmo down on his luck you know guy um, and I think well, because, it, if it was somebody who was just a little less famous, a little less attractive, it might have pushed that a little further for me. Because I mean, really you want to talk about attractive? Uh, Rebecca Ferguson was sure, but she's not almost, a huge movie, star. almost distractingly hot. <laughs> but she's yeah. not a huge I movie don't know. star. Grandpa, sh- Grandpa Flick was pretty hot. Guys, <laughs> the giant from uh, Twin Peaks. It was nice yeah. to see him again. Yeah, well, also Lurch from the Adams Family. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, but uh, but yeah, he was he also was great. I mean, talk about good casting, like man. Oh he was, yeah, he was creepy. Yeah. looking. I really he, like he, uh, Emily and, uh, Alan Lind as the uh, the snake bite girl, the like yes. the little kind of Lolita of the group. Like, yeah, yeah. Oh, and, and Again, um, true to uh, the book, very true to the book. And uh, the guy who played Crow Daddy, was oh, great so too. good. Yeah, yes. Yeah. I, I in a way, he was almost the scariest one to me. He just had this menace about him uh yeah. that that I really liked. Zach and in the, uh, or Z- in the book Zane he... McLarnan. Zane McLarnan is his oh, name. The actor? Yeah. And he, I, I'm he looking at his credits. He hasn't been in a ton. He's he's been in a lot of movies with uh native casts um and some TV projects. But yeah, like he is very magnetic and 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 has a lot to do in this movie. And some of the some of the sort of like subtlety of his performance mm-hmm. especially later on when he has a specific scene with with the main character oh like yeah kind of just it's uh, you know sort of a a dialogue scene is so like he plays it just so like under the like just a quiet sort of snake-like sort of thing and it's yeah. just like it's, it's so good and in the book it's interesting because he's a lot more in my brain when i read the book credit was a little bit more sort of like hippy dippy and a little bit more like he was also very good with books like he was all about like keeping things organized keeping things in the books, keeping the money straight, keeping the mm-hmm. keeping the fake IDs straight. Like the, it really King went into a lot of detail with Crowdaddy on that. If, if I'm remembering correctly, and they didn't have any of that in the movie. And I don't feel like they needed any of that. Like his performance and like his yeah. character was like so good. Like it just it, it didn't need that. Yeah, and and there's so much already going on in the movie that it's 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 so hard uh because I will say that's one thing about Stephen King as a writer. He's so good at drawing meaning out of uh out of mundane details Mm -hmm. um and 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 i think that might be a why he resonates so much with audiences as a writer um and b why it can be until recently so challenging to do stephen king adaptations because he puts so much into you know one page of backstory of a of a fucking phone booth or whatever right uh and you can't you you don't have that kind of time in a movie so and at the end of the day that's the difference between literature and film anyway yeah yeah and and you have to be able to compensate for that in other ways yeah with a film and i think this is a great example of doing exactly that yeah, and I think in horror too, like uh, I I, think, I can't remember if King said it or something, but he said one of the main sort of goal or like hurdles you have in horror is that you have to make the audience believe that this really could happen to mm-hmm. these people. And I think because again, like horror is like these extra like ordinary circumstances. So if you don't have a baseline of believability and and a verisimilitude in reality, like these are people I know, these are p- situations that I mm-hmm. believe these people are in. So now this horrible thing is happening, and oh my gosh, it's like it's happening to me, sort of thing. And yeah. he's so good at like making you go, oh my gosh, that's right, yeah, Walmart, of course. Like I've been, <laughs> Walmart. you know, it's like he's so like folksy yeah. and like real, and like I believe one hundred percent that these are real people. But in the movie, you don't need that because it, the images are already there, so it's like you yeah. kind of get to sort of skip a lot of that. Yeah, the image will, you know, it's worth a thousand words. Some people have said exactly. Um, exactly. Okay, so let's go ahead and give it a, a grade. We do a letter grade here, like you would in school. Uh, what do you give it, Josh? 
So I know we talked about the ending, and Keith, you 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 pointed this out. This was my biggest thing with the movie is that I feel like the very end and sort of the big denouement mm-hmm. and sort of the big scene that we had with with um, the main characters kind of felt a little rushed, and it felt a little too like pot, like literally pile on. Like it was a little too like yeah, it was yeah. a little Wait. too. Hmm. And and I wish and I I don't know I don't know how you could have done a different I had an idea I I don't know I feel like you could have given it a little bit more air and a little bit more gravitas instead of throwing it all in the blender really quickly but yeah that's, yeah that's just me. no it just, just felt like this movie's you. done now it was like here's the ending and it's over and it's like what oh okay <laughs> But uh, but anyway, I just I just did I did want to say that because I was like I love the movie everything about it, but the end made me a little bit like oh really oh no okay okay all right in in true Stephen King fashion yeah exactly exactly it's like I think we're done now wait what (laughs) yeah but okay but anyway sorry uh so to give it uh we're giving it a rating is that correct yes um so I would give it a uh. Again, the ending. I was a. I wish a couple missteps. I feel like just in terms of. But gosh, it all is tempered with the idea that he had such a hard job to do. He had mm-hmm. such a hard job to do. He had to turn a book into a movie that was already based on a movie that was based on a book that people <laughs> all have such strong feelings about. So like, I give him. I give Mike Flanagan an A plus because genuinely because it's like yeah. that's such a hard task to do. Yeah. Um the movie itself I give a solid solid B, uh possibly a B plus. Okay. Um th- again, the ending, I feel like there was a couple things that could have been smoothed out and a little sharper, mm-hmm. but um a solid B, solid B plus. I-, I think he did such a really nice job with it. Uh yeah, I I actually am right on board with you there, Josh. Uh also, like I said, I think earlier in the movie before the plot sort of starts to pick up there's some pacing issues as well, I think. Um, I, I do think he he does balance it pretty well, but there are just moments that I wish had been like smoothed out a little or let breathe a little bit more or something. Um, so I think I'm landing on a B plus for this. Okay. Um, I'm going to go with an A minus. I really, really like this movie a lot, and I was very, very uh, caught up in the story and the drama of it all um, and uh, wasn't thinking too much about uh the all of the levels of adaptation going on which is you know uh an achievement in and of itself uh yeah i agree that you just got to enjoy it yeah towards the end some of the callback stuff gets a little too heavy-handed um and then my my uh my ewan mcgregor thing but other than that yeah i'm i i love this movie a lot and uh i would place it among the a tier uh king adaptations That's awesome. I, I agree yeah. with you there. Yeah, yeah. I don't think uh, I think that's very, 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 very like uh, acceptable in terms of being like, yep, this is definitely one of the top productions uh, King has had. And also, again, with what he had to do with it, like, yeah, I mean, he. All right, you know what, uh, Josh? Since you weren't able to finish Dolomite, and we're at a pretty good uh, place in the podcast, I think I think we're gonna hold uh, my name is Dolomite for the next episode with Keith. Um, Fair enough. And, uh, yeah, you know, you're, a, you're in New York, you're three hours ahead of us, so I'm going to let you go to sleep. But, uh, before we, before we finish off here, why don't you tell people any kind of, uh, social media or any kind of, um, you know, maybe you're doing a stand up thing or, uh, or something over in New York that you want to give people some information about. Sure, any plugs? Thanks. 
hair plugs mostly, so <laughs> pay no attention to oh, them. Oh, <laughs> no. boy. Oh, boy. And now no one will check out any of my social media after <laughs> Terrible, terrible joke. And and rightfully so. Um, but, uh, so yeah, um, I'm on Twitter at, uh, it's like at Joshua, so it's like three A's after J-O-S-H-U-W-H-A-A-A-T, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's somewhere around there. Um, and uh, if you're so inclined, um, yeah, check out on Audible. Uh, you can, if you just look up Josh Hurley uh, on the search bar, you can find some of the, the audiobooks um, that I've done. And uh, um, and in New York, um, I'm uh, I perform with comedy sports uh, every now and then, uh, depending on uh, what the week. But um, and that's uh, every Saturday night at the Broadway Comedy Club. And um, also with uh, my improv group Desperado, we do shows here and there. Um, and uh, yeah, just all sorts of stuff here and there, kind of random shows. Um, I'm doing, uh, Mike Brown produces a show called Fury that I do sometime, uh, which is a lot of fun. Um, and uh, just a lot of random shows here in the city. Uh, so yeah, so so check that out. And I also want to say, uh, I, I don't know if this is the time to do it, but I just want to say thank you so much for having me on because this is uh, this is awesome to get to talk to both of you who are both great uh king and film aficionados and you know know their stuff and so it's it's so fun to like thank you for having me on no absolutely thanks for being on josh um absolutely and so if anybody has anything to say about any of the things we talked about in this episode you can get in contact with us at our email uh, mcguffinpod at gmail.com um you can also find us on uh facebook on Facebook.com slash MacGuffinPod, and we are on Twitter and Instagram under at MacGuffinPod. Um, you can follow me individually at VC Cassidy on Twitter, and you can also uh, download us over at iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Player.fm, and Pocket Casts. Uh, Keith, what are your things? Oh, man. Okay. Uh, so I've got some stuff. Oh, uh, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Keith Foster Kid. Um, you can also follow my art account on Instagram, Sticky Note Aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I can talk about this. <laughs> uh, but, you know, our, I didn't sign any contracts. and um, But this last weekend, I actually... Um, uh, helped shoot and uh, was in some uh, video sketches that are going to be coming soon. Um, you can check out this new... Uh, I'm part of this this new thing that we're trying on Instagram. Um, it's called... Uh, let me let me find out exactly what it is um, so people can follow. I wasn't prepared. Um, okay, yeah, you can check it out, uh, at Video Fasties, um, uh, so, like, Video Nasties, but they're fast. Got it. Um. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Uh, so, they're, they're, uh, they're, they're in the editing process right now. We don't have a lot on the account, but, um, if you start following us, uh, we're gonna just start dropping a few sketches, uh, here and there, um. Yeah, so check that out uh, at Video Fasties. I'm I'm really excited about this. Um, I I think, yeah, uh, it was just a ton of fun to film, and it's it's nice to be um, involved in that. And I think they're gonna look really good. So cool. Check out Video Fasties. Well, I definitely I'm definitely going to check it out. 
Awesome. Well, uh, all right, Josh, I think that's the episode. And uh, Keith usually says something ridiculous. Uh, do you want to say something ridiculous to finish out the show? Okay, well, that's not exactly what happens. I don't say something ridiculous. I Do you really just think I'm pulling shit out of nowhere? I, t- I pick a quote from one of the movies we watched. Uh, okay. Um, shall I say it? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. And, th- and that's what we go out on is just this last line, so. Okay. The world is just one big hospice with fresh air. <laughs>